are listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. We're kicking off this sermon series called Not a Fan, and this is based off of a book by a guy named Kyle Eidelman that I read in 2010 in my first year in ministry. I've actually done a, a rendition of this sermon series before in Montana, but I've changed in the last 13 years. My view of the text has changed and how I function uh, uh, with the text has changed. And so as I was going through and thinking about where are we going and some of the sermon series that I know that are upcoming, I was thinking about what would set us up well for where we're going after this series. And I was, uh, I was looking on my book books shelf and I was looking at all these books that I have. I get lots of books to read. I have lots of information and stuff. And I saw this one and I was like, oh, that was so good. That was so impactful. And I started to like open it up. And then I went and uh, talked and, and during our sermon club and I talked with Adam and I was like, what if we did this? Adam, one of Adam's emails, that's how impactful it was for Adam. One of his emails is not a fan 146 at whatever. I don't know what it is. Um, but the goal of this is for us to take the time to evaluate our relationship with Jesus. And I don't know about you guys, but around the first of the year, I have this habit of evaluating how my year went. What did I do of things that I am proud of and I would like to repeat? And what were some like not so cool marks in my walk that year? And so as I evaluate those things, I ask myself lots of questions. And so this series is really going to be designed for you guys to continue to evaluate yourself and your relationship with Jesus and others. I hope that this will give you some tools for life as you make an effort to be a follower of Jesus. Do you know in the text in the New Testament there, uh, the, the word a follower comes up about 25 times and believe comes up about five times when Jesus is like, do you believe in Jesus or do you follow Jesus? Because most people will acknowledge Jesus, at least that he existed. And a lot of people have an intellectual belief in Jesus, but I think we're going to see that it narrows down greatly when we get to being a follower of Jesus. I want you to accept some of the truths of what Jesus is asking of you. I want you to evaluate your relationship with Jesus. I want you to have brothers and sisters that have a passion to be followers of Jesus, not just fans. And for it to be a language about us and how are we doing as a church Do we look like we're fans of Jesus, that we have a big building and like churches have started to look more like stadiums, the big ones. And you're there and you're like cheering on. I'm I'm a believer in Jesus and I'm in the church. And I went to church on Sunday and I served once and so obviously I'm a follower. I think it is time for me I, you guys know this, when I'm sharing this with you, I'm really talking to myself. I've already had this conversation with myself, and now I'm trying to give it over to you to see if it makes any sense. So when I say we, us, me, it's always me. But I think it's time to just stop knowing about Jesus. We don't stop gaining information. How many people know that we're in this thing called the information age? My wife asked me last night, she's like, how tall was Larry Bird? I'm like, Siri, how tall was Larry Bird? 6'9". Well, that's quick information. I didn't have to go to like some almanac and look it up and see what his height height was. Hey, what's the weather going to be like tomorrow? 
Echo Amazon Dot. How come that thing has always got like, it kind of makes me curious. Why does that thing always have like a, a light around it when it's sitting there? I'm like, is it listening? It's listening to me, isn't it? And like all of a sudden I'm thinking about some boots and I open up my computer and bam, there they are. Wow. But we're in the information age. Information is not the problem. Identifying accurate information is a problem. Identifying accurate view of God's word is a problem, but getting the information, that is not the problem. Knowing about Jesus is not the problem, but being about Jesus in my life is a problem. There's been more and more overwhelming validation of the text. You can look at like Christianity Today and it'll give you the top 10 archaeological cool things about the Bible that happened in 2022. And what scription, scription that they found somewhere that proves something else. And they found something about Hezekiah and like, this is like validation, validation, validation. And you're like, gosh, this thing is true. It's accurate again this year. Becoming more accurate, the more we're learning about it. So the question I have for you and I, the statement is choosing to follow Jesus, to not be a fan of Jesus, but actually choosing to follow Jesus, King Jesus, bangs, it, that was not loud, what am I, oh, there we go, that was too solid, that's concrete back here, okay, bangs in the face of culture. It bangs in the face of culture. It's like there's this whole other force that wants you to distract you. And Satan would love nothing better than to have a church full of fans of Jesus. And we have come to a crossroads, or at least I have. We slash I, the royal we. I have come to a crossroads. I get emails with difficult questions and what are my stances on this and do I call this that or do I call this that and what do you think? And I want to respond to those questions in relationship and in love and with the best understanding that I have of God's word right now. So are you going to stay in the stands and the stadiums of churches and cheer on those followers? And I'm not saying it's because Actually, for sure, just because you're on a stage does not make you a follower of Jesus. Just because you work for a church or have worked for a church does not make you a follower of Jesus. We're going to see in the text people that knew the text better than any of us probably know it today walked away from being a follower of Jesus or questioned those things. So are we going to stand on the sidelines of life and cheer on those followers of Jesus Are you going to accept the invitation to be a follower of Jesus and move from fan to follower? So this is where we come to the first part of our talk here is we are going to talk about this thing called DTR. Say DTR. Define the relationship. I have defined lots of relationships in my life. I've had some relationships defined for me. Anybody ever been dumped in here before? What do you, so you're saying no? So as you are working through those things and you're defining lots of relationships, I've had relationships defined for me this year and I maybe didn't like 
the result. And I've defined relationships this year, and somebody else probably didn't like that result either. But when you think about defining your relationship, a great relationship to have figured out and defined is your one with Jesus Christ. Now, you, like me, probably have had many opportunities to define many relationships. Hey, remember when you were a little kid at school and you come home to your mom, 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 I made a new friend today. Oh yeah, what's their name? I don't know, but they could throw a football really well. We won. You defined a relationship as a friend or an acquaintance, or maybe you started a new job this year and your relationship is being defined as an employee of X. Maybe you're back here for school. I love it when our students come back. You are defined in the relationship with your school as a student. Maybe you play sports and you're defined in your relationship. You made the team, but you're a bench warmer. You made the team, but you're the sixth man. You made the team, but you're a starter. You made the all-league team and you're you're all-league vandal, blah, 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 blah. Your relationships and your efforts are constantly being defined. Maybe you're defined as a teacher or a father or a mother. One of the relationships that, that I was able to get defined was with this beautiful girl named Carrie Ann Koo. And we'll take a look at some pictures here that are very flattering. Yeah. So the one on the far left is our senior prom. And you know how I know it's our senior prom? Because I was wearing tails with that tux. Look at that. That is hot. I only had one chin then, which is pretty cool. My beard's covering the other ones now. So there's Carrie and I in probably April of 1993 on the far left. This one is our engagement photo that was in the Colville Statesman Examiner, the weekly newspaper of Josh and Carrie Gray getting engaged. So that's going to be uh, in 1995, probably summer of 1995. And then there's our marriage photo, September 23rd, 1995. Yes. Beautiful white, white top there, too. That white top was hot. I know. I was talking about mine. but you know. Anyway, so here's different stages of defining their relationship. So Carrie and I are dating. And there's like, hey, are we going to be like boyfriend-girlfriend? Are we going steady if you were born in like the, if you were dating in the 50s? Are we steady? Are we exclusive? Are we committed to each other? Do you want to go to prom with me? And then there's two years later, this relationship is continuing on and lots of trials and things. Then there's this point of, hey, would you marry me? I'm. 20 and really smart and know exactly what I want to do with the rest of my life. And would you like to spend it with me? And then there's obviously the day that we got married. And so as you think about defining relationships, you think about the details of commitment that happen from the risk of asking somebody out on a date to the risk of wanting to be exclusive with them to the risk of asking about uh, if they would like to marry you to the risk of being with you for the rest of your life, making a covenant. And you see all throughout the text, there are relationships that are being defined. 
And we'll talk more about those. But I want you to think about this as you start to evaluate and define your relationship with Jesus. Because for me, I didn't just jump into follower and I just stayed there the whole time and never went out of follower. I said the prayer. I had a dramatic conversion moment and I was crying and snot was coming out of my nose and my hands were shaking and I realized what I was and I accepted Jesus. I believed what the guy said I was supposed to believe. And I made a, a commitment to, 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 to follow Jesus, but I didn't know what that meant with snot running out of my nose and shaking and being 23 years old. I just knew that something powerful had happened. And as I'm learning as a pastor and learning as a dad all through this journey that I'm still learning, I still will find myself flowing between fan and follower, even as a leader of a great organization and an amazing church just like this. And I need to keep dragging myself back into being a follower of Jesus and not just raw rawing it. We're not trying to, to fill a bunch of seats with a bunch of fans. If I'm building a church that has a bunch of... Am I yelling? If I'm building a church that has a bunch of fans of Jesus, get me out of here. I'd be working for the enemy. We are trying to build a church that has followers of Jesus. I wonder if this parable, you can find yourself in this parable in the text at different points in your Christian walks. Join me as we jump into the parable of the sower. This is in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18. Matthew is, uh, uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he says, let me tell you a story. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw, oops, wrong text. Sorry, I'm on Matthew 13. My bad. There we go. Uh, that same day, Jesus went out to the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds had gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while the people stood on shore. And then I, uh, he told them many things in parables saying, so here's, here's the viewpoint. This is at the Sea of Galilee. Super cool acoustics. You wouldn't even know it, but you could fit a lot of people up on that. And you could go all the way down there and you could probably be where Wingers is and they could be like, okay, and you would hear it. The acoustics are really cool. And so that's where this location is. And so um, he told them many, many parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seeds. Now, farming's a big deal. It's how you ate. You didn't go to Winco. And so everybody's familiar with farming analogies. And so a farmer went out to sow his seeds, which means plant his seeds. And as he was scattering the seeds, some fell along a path and the birds just picked them up and ate them up. They never even got into the dirt. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. You ever tried to plant a bunch of stuff in rocks? You know what only grows in rocks? Weeds. You know what grows in rocks? The stuff you got to go pull out if you're a landscaper. Unless you put down good fabric. No. So some fell in rocky places where it didn't have much soil and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. There wasn't depth. Next. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and it withered away because they had no roots. They couldn't get what they needed. Other seeds fell amongst thorns, which grew up and were choked. And it choked the plants out. You have this fiery, awesome Christian faith. 
and everybody just joined right along with you and nobody criticized you and nobody said you were silly and everybody just helped you and just poured water on your faith as soon as you accepted Jesus, right? What? That's not the way it worked for me either. So it choked out those plants. Next. Still other seeds fell on good soil where it produced a crop of 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And so then it goes on uh, in the next section and it goes on and they're like, oh, great. Well, like, what do you mean, Jesus? We don't get it. And it's like, all right, I will explain to you what I mean. Verse 18, we skip some. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. If you just believed it intellectually, but you never internalized it and actually did anything with your faith, you could be in your mind like snatched away from you. You're like, yeah, I believed. I just said the prayer, right? That's all I have to do. I'm just looking for the minimum. Lord, I just want the minimum from you. So I'm just going to give you the minimum. So we don't want the minimum with God. This is the seed that was sown along the path that was never rooted, right? Next. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and once they receive it with joy, but since they have no roots, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Dig your well before you're thirsty. To ring back to a sermon if you've been around, you got to have some roots. And your roots aren't just in the Bible, they're in God's people. And you are rooted with other people in God's kingdom. Amen? How many people need other people to help you be, to help you walk with your walk? How many people need people to, to call you back to something, to, to shuva, to help you return to the path? You guys want me to walk over there? <laughs> to return to the path. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but worry, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. They hear it, they got it, they're fired up, they're excited about it, and then they're like, squirrel. Oh yeah, I'm one of those. I'm a Christian. Squirrel. And their life isn't chasing the things of God. Their life is chasing maybe some of the desires of their heart that aren't in alignment with God, and it makes them a fan, not a follower of Jesus. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop and yields a hundred or sixty or thirty times what was sown. I have been all of these seeds at different times in my life. Anybody else? There are many stories that we see in the text where we are defining the relationship. You can go from Cain to Abel, Cain and Abel to uh, Balaam and his donkey, to Jonah, to the disciples. I found this story interesting. It's in the first or second chapter of this book that he starts talking about Nicodemus. And I want to read you some things that are not in your notes, but we're going to go to the book of John, God's beautiful word. And so Nicodemus is trying to figure out where he fits. 
Now, Nicodemus is a ruling member of the Sanhedrin. He's a big deal. He's the pastor that has uh, the, big, the big church. He's the person that, that people look up. He's memorized the first five books of the Bible, all of them. He knows God's, the, the text, the Jewish text. He's all in. He's the guy that we would look to and be like, yeah, total follower. Absolutely. He's got it. He's the religious guy. And it's interesting, in, in uh, chapter 3, uh, Jesus teaches Nicodemus, and it says, now there was a Pharisee, a man uh, named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin is what it is. And this is interesting. He came to Jesus at night. And I started thinking about that. Comes to Jesus at night. Oh, Jesus is around all the time during the day. He's teaching all the time. This guy comes into him under the cover of darkness. And I wonder how many times I have allowed my faith to try and hide with Jesus in the darkness. Where I'm, I'm not sure yet. I don't, you know, I might not get that promotion if I'm too vocal about my faith. I better take that, you know, bumper sticker off my car. Like, I'm kind of a fan of Jesus. I'm a fan of Jesus. But so he comes to him at night. And that's where we first see this idea of, of who Nicodemus is and uh, has some different questions. And then the next time we see Nicodemus, or at least I'm quoting him, is in chapter 7. And there's this big issue of division over who Jesus is. And the ruling council is talking about this. They're trying to trap Jesus. And they're getting after him. And uh, in this piece of the text, uh, he says, uh, Nicodemus comes out and he's talking. Hold on just a second. Let me find it. Uh, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus, verse 50, earlier, and who was one of their own in number, says, hey, hey, by the way, does our law, the ruling saying here, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? Because they're trying to get him. So Nicodemus speaks up. Risk, risk it for the biscuit. And they reply really cool. They're like, are you from Galilee? Are you, are you on this man's side, is what they're saying? Look into it and you will find that the prophet does not come out of Galilee. He took a giant risk to defend Jesus, to at least ask a question in front of his compatriots. And then, so we don't know that much more about Nicodemus as we're walking through this. And then the next time we see Nicodemus and his faith is after Jesus has, has, uh, has been crucified and it's at his, bur at his burial tomb. And it says, the burial of Jesus. Later, Joseph of uh, Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. And uh, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier had visited, uh, visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. So what's happened to Nicodemus? He goes from meeting Jesus at night to being criticized in front of his peers for asking a question about their law in defending Jesus to bringing a beautiful, amazing treasure to Jesus at his death to take care of him. Is Nicodemus... A fan or a follower of Jesus? 
And that very act at the very end of him bringing that to Jesus could totally have defined his life and his family life and be done with his, his career, be done with all those things because he, in my opinion, chose to be a follower of Jesus. So as you're sitting here today and you're being challenged by this boisterous voice, the challenge is to define the relationship. And for me, I have to continually define my relationship with Jesus. Now, you can go into to different aspects of like, you know, once saved, always saved, but I'm not here just to get the get out of hell free card. I have a mission and a purpose. And I want to be a follower of Jesus and I want to lead a church that is a group of followers of Jesus, not fans of Jesus, of just coming on a Sunday and hearing words and going to a study once in a while. But you like believe it in your heart and it actually works out of your hands. We see this in Matthew 419, what Jesus is asking of us. Jesus calls his first disciples and he says this, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers called Simon, or Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting nets. They were doing their job. They were working. For they were fishermen. And he said, come and follow me. Don't just read about me or know about me or have, can have a discussion about me, but actually like live it out. Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed Jesus. It is an uncomfortable question. Because how you answer this question as we work through this series of are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus can change the pathway of your life. Now, do I necessarily think that there's anything wrong with being a fan of Jesus? I think that's where most of us probably start. I think we start learning about him and learning about his grace and his mercy and we start experiencing it in our own life and it starts transforming. It's come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So there's some transformation that is always happening in our heart but we're not called to like, press the like button for Jesus, are we? And when you read in the text, following isn't this, it, it comes with persecution. It comes with somebody saying, well, wait, I disagree with you. How could you say that? That's insensitive. I don't know. I try not to say it. I was just reading this. And so the disciples face this. Many disciples Deserted Jesus. And John 6 through 69, he's talking about this. He gives a hard teaching and, and uh, Jesus looks at his disciples after many left and he says, uh, you do not want to, to leave me too, do you? You want to leave me too? He asked the 12. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and to know that you 
are the Holy One of God. Where are you going to go? We're going to get ready to celebrate communion, and I want us to take some time to be a little more introspective. If you need communion, raise your hand, and uh, Randy or Ron will get some to you. We do the privilege of doing this every week. If you're new and checking out our church, we do communion every week. We come to the table every week, and sometimes I think that may lessen its value in people's mind, but every week we want to center and fall on Jesus Every week, I want you to remember who he is, what he did, and what he has called you to. And so as you have your communion elements, this is an act of declaration. This is a reaffirming act in your life about who Jesus was and is, and who is he to you. And so I want you to think about this for a minute or two. Bow your head and pray with me. Father, I, I, don't, I don't know that as we define fan, a, a, a raving supporter of something or somebody, I don't know that that's what many of us want to be here. We don't want to just push the like button on you. We want to be real and authentic and true followers of Jesus. And that requires sacrifice. That requires change. But there's a real hope in that. And you've called us to that. And so, Lord, this week I ask that you would work through every heart in here, that through discussions and through their actions and as they're moving, that they would ask themselves those questions. Is this a fan action here or is this a following action? Because I believe the people in this room, Lord, I believe the desire to be followers of you. That we are here to put your kingdom on display. We are here to change the Palouse. We are here to, to make Moscow a better place to live because there's people that are following you and serving you. And for all of the Palouse, Lord, that it's changed because there's a church here that sees people, that cares for people, that is following your instructions the best that we can. Help us to do that, Father. Lord, I love this quote you gave me from Dallas Willard. It says, the idea of having faith in Jesus has come to be totally isolated from being his apprentice and learning how to do what he has said, not to just hear what he has said, but actually do it. Lord, help us to do that. So Lord, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he had that bread. He took the bread and he broke it and he, well, he's given thanks. And he said, this is my body. This is for you. This is not the action. I'm not doing this to have a bunch of fans. Do this and remember me. Let's make a commitment to follow Jesus. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink. Drink it in remembrance of me. Let's do it in remembrance of him. Lord, we thank you for this time. Work in this group of people. Work in the folks online that we would evaluate and join together to learn how to be followers of you. Amen. 
Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.